Welcome to the Discipleship Discussions podcast. We believe everyone can be a disciple who makes disciples. Our goal is to help you with this process. Each week, we take the lesson taught through basic discipleship and break it down in a discussion format. Now, let's join today's discussion. All right, welcome back to our podcast. We are talking about the church today. And with me, as always, is Dr. Patrick Latham. And we're in this series, The Basic Christian Life. Um, So you've done your teaching session. I encourage those who are listening now to go watch that, or if you're watching now to go watch that. Uh, Walk us through the four basic priorities for a church. Yeah, um, the way we stated those in the lesson would be uh, worship, uh, community, training and mission so you know you can get into a little bit of semantics there there's different ways you could state that uh we've landed here on using those four words in the past i've used different words or heard others use different words Um, but those are those are the four that's right you can only get so creative for the basic concepts all right so Briefly, give us your vision for each of those four priorities. Yeah, I would say that that first one, worship, is that you can't get away from the fact in Scripture that churches should have this time where they worship, and that involves putting your your heart focus on the Lord, Um, you know, really just uh, zooming in on Him. And uh, I think you see, you know, scriptural precedent that a couple things go on with worship that that really at the center of it should be a focus on scripture and on singing, preaching, praise, the word and worship, if you will. So uh, really kind of that, that two-pronged approach that there's a time to hear from God through his word and hear what thus saith the Lord. And then there's a time to um, you know talk to God uh, through uh, uh, worship and through singing. You know, I go back to that um, James Dobson book somebody gave me when uh, I was in college and uh, maybe when I graduated high school, Life on the Edge. That used to be like the popular student ministry gift when somebody graduated back in the 90s, 80s, 90s, I guess. So I got Life on the Edge, but in there, Dobson talks about any relationship involves what he called throwing the ball back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know that you throw the ball, then the ball's thrown towards you. There's give and take. You know, um, you receive, but then you also give. So, you know, you can think about that in worship as well, that it's this two-way street that uh, there should be this idea of we're hearing from God and then we're expressing love, thanks, praise, and adoration. Gotcha. All right, then the second one we talked about. Yeah, that would be um, community. Mm-hmm. And so we use that word community. We feel like maybe that relates better in our culture. We used to wor- use that word fellowship. Uh, I can remember Julianne's kindergartner, kindergarten teacher became a Christian, joined our church and uh, when she was a kindergart- in kindergarten. So uh, in middle school now. But uh, I remember she came to our church and we were having an activity in the afternoon and I remember her trying to, the, the, her Sunday school teacher, or excuse me, her kindergarten teacher was uh, asking, now where is this event again? It's in that room with that, with that, what's that word? Um, fellow, fellow. Like she'd never said that word before. You know, we realized that is kind of an awkward word nowadays. You've got to be careful because it is a biblical word. Sure. 
But at the same time, we like to express that priority in a way that makes sense. You know, I even found it with older people. We try to say, okay, fellowship ought to be a priority. And for many of them, oh, that means we go to the fellowship hall and eat fried chicken and potato salad. It's like, that's not what fellowship is. Fellowship is this idea that you've got to connect somehow life on life with other believers. You've got to have your spiritual family or your circle of Christian friends that edify you, encourage you, and equip you, that encourage you and hold you accountable in the Christian life. Gotcha. So, so churches have to have a way of making that a priority where people can connect life on life with other believers. All right, and the third one we said was training, right? Yep, training. So, you know, man, we've got to be equipped. Ephesians four eleven through twelve. We've got to be built up. It may not be as fashionable as it used to be, but there is this idea that in the church there's got to be a transfer of knowledge and information. I mean, people need to know some things in order to be strong Christians. I mean, people need to be equipped with information, truth mm-hmm. uh, concerning God, concerning themselves, concerning spiritual gifts, concerning relationships, concerning marriage, uh, concerning parenting, concerning how to evangelize. Um, list goes on and on. Basic Bible doctrine, theology, Holy Spirit, um, the church. Uh, people need truth for all of those areas. And Jesus indicated, John seventeen seventeen that spiritual transformation encourages through, or excuse me, takes place through uh, the distribution of truth. So, so, so you've got to have that in some way in the church. So we just used the word training instead of discipleship. Yeah. Just to hone in on the idea of the teaching aspect of training more than just sit and listen, it's going and doing. Yeah, I, th- I think a key thing is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus gave the great commandment, he said, teaching them, and we often stop right there. Okay, let's teach him. But then he says, teaching them to obey all things I command you. Maybe where we got messed up on that is I think the King James is observe. I was pulling that up right now. Yeah, yeah it, it says observe those yeah. things. So um, we lost maybe the meaning of what that really involves. So, you know, training, this, this type of training is not just um, transformation of information, or excuse me, transmission of information. Would that be the word? It's not just giving right. someone information. It's the idea that you give them information for transformation. Right. So um, that's what's different. And, I, you know, there's people that are kind of, I, I can think of popular Christian authors when I was in seminary who were writing books and seemed to be against the idea of, you know, training in the church or they're against, you know, notebooks and taking notes and getting all this information. We're more about just real life change. You know, and I, I think maybe their argument, though I want to agree with like th- their posture, maybe their argument was against a, a legit problem in the church that we became all about, you know, having notebooks with filling the blank outlines and getting all this information without transformation. So, so it's key that we realize when Jesus said we train people, we train them to obey. So when we have these type of training groups, there should be an edge of accountability you know, when I've, I've done this before, you, I have time in my training groups for um, care and prayer. That's like, how are you doing in your Christian life? Let's pray for each other. And then there's share in prayer. How are you doing sharing the gospel and discipling people yourself? 
So there's this edge of accountability. Like we're not just here for another Bible study so you can be fascinated with whatever topic we're talking about. We're here to train so that then we go out and live the Christian life. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of a soldier training. I remember my brother went off to boot camp. It's not like, well, yeah, running five miles is great. Wow, I can do pull-ups is great. No, it's like we're training for a reason because there's a battle. That's right. So, so that's the idea behind it. Yeah, and I, what I found interesting is you mentioned the King James, Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. It says observe instead of obey. Yeah. Also in Ephesians four, eleven and twelve. Uh, it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for perfecting of the saints, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, edifying of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And it kind of the way it translates is the, the, the staff or what we call staff. So the pastor's teacher's job for the work of ministry, mm-hmm. because that's what how they translate it. And we see that problem. We probably dive off into the rabbit hole mm-hmm. right yeah. now. Yeah. But uh, interesting to know how what we battle now is um, putting discipleship and training at the forefront of our people and the importance of that and where for years using a translation like King James has given this picture to the people is no that's what we pay you to do yeah, as yeah. the staff and so I thought that was interesting I listened I believe it was Robbie Gallaty not long mm. ago uh, teach on mm. that um, so the final of the four was the final of the four was mission mm-hmm. and so that's the idea of ministry or evangelism or missions we use the word mission because we have a mission that's right. You know, and uh, that's to go to all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth, and make disciples. And um, yeah, so we're to be on mission here, there, and everywhere, across the streets, across, across the streets, across states, across the seas, um, sharing the gospel, seeking to see people converted, using our spiritual gifts, Romans 12, 6 through 8, to uh, build up the body of Christ. Every believer. Every member should be a minister. Every um, member should be a missionary in a sense. I know there's people who are missionaries in more of an official sense and feel called to that. But everybody within their circle of influence, in their community, in their world, should be looking um, to win people for Jesus, to see converts. Um, So in the church, it's got to be about that mission. So many churches, so easy to say, that we have a mission, but we practically lose sight of that. Yeah, and so that's uh, that's where I want to go right now. Is so we have this dichotomy between healthy churches and unhealthy churches. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying big churches and small churches. That's not what we're using yeah. here. Healthy yeah. and unhealthy. So out of those two groups, let's start with the healthy side. So healthy churches. How do those those churches prioritize the four priorities? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. There, you know, the, the battle is most structures have, or excuse me, most churches already have structures in place. Mm-hmm. So you've got to look at your structure. You've got to look at what you actually do and say, are we giving place and time for the four priorities? And you just got to be real about that. And sometimes you've uh, got to make hard decisions. You've got to look at some of the things you're doing and saying, does it fulfill or could it fulfill one of the four priorities so i've seen in leading churches at times it's like hey rebuild scrape it down to the slab we're not doing that anymore we're doing something different i've also seen that like man that's a good deal right there i mean that that, we've just gotten a little bit off focus there Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, I can think of um, events that churches did that I was a part of that had become more about a show or a program or tradition that's like, hey, let's, let's tweak it a little bit and let's say it exists for this priority. And then in the way we go about doing it, we're going to keep an eye on that priority and, and make sure we communicate that, that folks, this is all about worship or this is all about mission or this is all about community. And so um, I, I think that, you, you know, you're either in a place of um, removing what you're doing or renovating what you're doing. So you're either removing, saying, we can't do that anymore. It's competing. It's too much. It's white noise. It's keeping us from our priorities. And so we're going to remove that and put something new in place that focuses on our priorities. Or you're renovating. Like, okay, we've just gotten off focus here. Let's tweak it a little bit and, and communicate and have a vision for what priority we should be pursuing in this. Yeah, so you would say healthy churches are focused, they're strategic, mm, yeah. and they evaluate. All right, so would the opposite be true of an unhealthy church? Yeah, if you're looking at unhealthy church, you know, the idea there is they've started existing for things other than those four priorities. You know, I, I can remember when I went to interview at a church one time to, to be a pastor, and I'd read this book prior to going to interview that said, hey, if you want to know what an organization's all about, don't ask them, why do you exist? Because most organizations know, most churches know why they should exist, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we exist for the Great Commission. That's why, to, to reach people for Jesus, that's why we exist. So this book advised, hey, if you really want to, to know why they exist, ask a question like this instead. Hey, in your history as a part of the organization, what were some of the greatest days you ever experienced? That's a good question. Yeah. And what was, what was going on during those times? So it was kind of funny. Now, I, I, I just wanted to be a jerk about it. So I asked the first question, why does your church exist? Just to hear what they'd say. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't tell them what I was doing. Then I asked the second question to see if they even caught on to what I was doing Right. To, to see if there was a dichotomy, a split here, a breakdown. So I asked the first question, why, do, why does your church exist? Well, we exist to reach people for Christ. Well, it's pretty plain and simple. That's right in the Bible, right? So I followed it right up with, hey, in your opinion, just from your experience, you've been here 30 years, what are some of the greatest experiences you've had as a part of this church? Boy, I tell you, back in the 70s, we had the best men and women softball teams in three counties. We went to tournaments all over the place. We got a bunch of off take care of family life center and show you the trophies we won. Unbelievable. And back in those days, just everybody loved everybody. And we had so much fun winning softball tournaments. And you're like, okay, so the priority here at best is maybe fellowship. Right. At worst is athletics. I don't know. So, right. um, you know, so I just say that to say unhealthy churches get off focus, mm -hmm. and it seems like that church was maybe existing for something that wasn't really one of the key priorities. So, so you've got to get on focus, make sure your, your stated priorities are biblical, and then your actual priorities, what you're actually doing is in alignment with those stated priorities. Yeah. 
I think that's good. That's helpful because um, it's very easy to get sucked into the trap of we've always done it that way. Or like you said, you know, there's nothing wrong with church league softball. But if that's the yeah. highlight, yeah, man, you have really missed the mark there. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, you talked about the importance of. I like using the word church involvement. Uh, some mm-hmm. would say like church attendance. Well, that's yeah, yeah. probably not a good yeah. like church attendance. I just think attendance sheet. But church involvement was what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 yeah, yeah. talked about. And so we live in 2020, which ironically right now during this uh, time of this filming is we're still everything shut down with the uh, coronavirus. But before all this, we have a million options for mm-hmm. um, when you know, for a family to do during a Sunday or Wednesday night. So why should a family family prioritize church involvement what would you say to the dad who's leading his family spiritually man i'd say your children got souls you know they're going to live somewhere uh forever i would say that um we only have one life it'll soon be passed only what's done for christ will last ct stud by the way yeah yeah so um thank you i didn't know yeah uh, i have it on my wall yeah so um yeah so i mean you've got to get a vision for eternity uh, you got to get a vision for the hereafter, but I would say also for the here and now. Like I just kind of like my Christian experience. I mean, I've got enough of the old Benjamin Franklin American pragmatism in me that I would say, you know, we are living for our best life and the hereafter. But also, like G- Jesus talked about eternal life, but he also talked about abundant life. Mm-hmm. So I would say, man, what's better than? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and still loses his soul? And, uh, you know, that has bearing on the here and now as well. Jesus said, John seventeen three, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and, and your son whom you've sent. And so, you know, I would encourage in the midst of all these things you're living for, um, realize that none of them ultimately fulfill. You know, I often pray to the Lord when I give him praise and I'll list out in my prayer time, some of those things I know I'm tempted to live for, my hobbies, my uh, gadgets, my toys, my reputation. And I'll pray something like this. Lord, none of those things can give me the significance, security, and satisfaction in life that you can. You alone satisfy. So I'd say you're on a fool's errand if you're leading your family to live, live for all these trips, hobbies, recreational pursuits without putting Christ first. Now, now, hear that distinction there. I put emphasis on without for a reason. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. I've got them. I've got one big hobby. I love kind of cycling and running and swimming and endurance kind of stuff. I'm not real good at it, but I just like getting away and testing my body and training and clearing my head and getting in nature. Um, so I would say I'm not, by this, I don't want to be that come off like as I'm against those things. And, um, you know, anybody that knows me knows I love sports as well. Um, I, I like to travel to different games and do that. It, it's an issue of priority. What's first? Mm-hmm. That war for your heart. So, you know, and I would say to families, be careful. Your children see what you really value and they see what you really worship. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen it before. The family that values everything but church um, and their kids pick up on it year after year, and then it becomes too late that their child's raised. And then I've pastored long enough to see this. Then they come back, pray for so-and-so. He's got no desire to be here. And I'm like, man, my heart breaks. 
haven't you seen it? For years you've led them to drink from other waters. You've led them to the proverbial altar of Baal and said, these are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. These are more important than the Lord. And they're just now living as a result of what they were how they were programmed to live. Like their environment that they yeah, grew up yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, real care, man, I don't want to be ugly about it and I don't want to be like um, the doom and gloom preacher and beat people up for right. it and like, you can't like college football. Sell your boat. You can't go to the lake. I don't want to be that guy, but at the same time, like, man, be so careful. I would say in all of that too, like what I've tried to do with recreation too, is like sanctify that. Mm-hmm. You know, use that when your family does those things. Like, I've even done it college football games. I mean, like, boys, isn't it great that, like, we're, we're eating, we're getting ready to go in the stadium. When we lived in Oklahoma, we're getting ready to see this Jalen Hurts first game as a Sooner, and we're going to in person, and, man, this food's good. And, you know, this is a great time for us as as guys to spend together and to even have those conversations in the car. Sanctify that time. You know, even just praying before the middle and say, thank you, Lord, we get to hang out and have this time together to relax and to enjoy what you've made and, um, and recreation and to unplug and to spend time together. So sanctify that as well. Keep Christ first. Yeah, and I think, obviously, you said that with great humility, and yeah. I, I don't think you would ever, and I hope anyone, um, everyone that knows you knows that you're not going to get up on a Sunday morning and you know, tell yeah. you know, people who are at the softball fields or baseball yeah. fields, you know, they're, they're heathen. Um, you know, my heart breaks. I've been doing student ministry since 2008, and I can point to you. I can tell you the future of a kid based off of their church involvement. Mm-hmm. And so not all. I mean, there are anomalies out there, of course. Yeah. Um, but I will say this. It has broken the hearts of many parents what we saw before it ever happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's my heart for it. I love sports. I coach sports. I'm all mm-hmm. for sports. Mm-hmm. But there has to be the line drawn. Mm-hmm. I have to make that decision for my – she's now one. But the decision's already been made. So when we're asked, when she's in middle school or high school, decision was made before she was born. The answer yeah. is no to some things. We'll say yes to some things, but we're going to say no to some things. And it's because of her soul. One person said this, and I'll move into our closing statement. It really shook me. It said, there's nothing that will outlast the soul of your child. Mm. There's no award, no team. There's no academic success. There's no college. There's no degree. Nothing outlasts the soul of your kid. Mm. So so how are you going to manage that? Mm, I was like, good. oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that, that ripped my heart uh, out right there. And so uh, shifting gears, let's close with this. You talked about the church, early church in Acts, you know, reading through the book of Acts. And you see the early church. What would be one distinction that you pick up on from the early church that you wish was ever so present in 2020 Georgia here at Tabernacle? Yeah, I would just say um, like just a focus on the Lord and um, I don't really know how to say it like his fame his glory his love and his justice like that balance Um, and maybe with that uh, maybe what I'm getting at more is you know the early church maybe the non-pragmatic approach you know and I mentioned that word pragmatism earlier and said I've got enough of it in me to say you know Mm -hmm. Concerning one thing, but, you know, I, I feel this pressure as a pastor, you know, you almost get this sense from churches like, what are you going to do, pastor, to grow the church? Right. I even had somebody just fly out to ask me, what are you going to do to grow this church? And it's like, wow, you know, um, 
So pressure. that's what we're down to. I'm the CEO like, that's got to come in with a new, cool, clever marketing technique. That's what we are. Okay. Um, you know, and when you look at the early church, it was just like this fear of God, this love for him, it seemed, this desire to just make him known. We can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. So I think that's what the, the pressure you see in American society. It's like, how can we be the, the coolest kid in town? What's the next gimmick or game? And, you know, and even the, the individual that asked me that question, maybe that wasn't their heart. Maybe I misunderstood them. Maybe it's, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe I took that the wrong way. But you just, whether it's real or not, you feel that pressure and you, you sense that consumer mindset of um, regarding the church. And so, you know, I've often been in a place where just, can we get to the heart of Scripture? Can we get to, it's about Jesus and his fame and these simple priorities and loving God and loving others and being on mission. So you just see that devotion. But let's not have rose-tinted glasses. You know, every book of the New Testament outside the Gospels, uh, you know, really when you get to Romans onward, every book was written because of a problem in the church. <laughs> so that's, that's right. right. That's right. Um, it was Some got multiple letters. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> right. That's right. So, um, yeah, so realize your New Testament wouldn't be in existence if churches didn't have problems in the first century. So let's not have this Pollyanna perspective. But at the same time, I feel like, indeed, American culture has given us this consumer, pragmatic approach to the church. And, and I wish we could have more of the book of Acts, just glory of God and the mission of Jesus making him known, that type of approach. I highlighted every time um, in Acts where it said the church was in awe. They, mm -hmm. they, they stood uh -huh. in awe. They were in awe. And that same picture that they were in awe of God, they are in awe of his glory. So that, ironically, you mentioned that, yeah. and I just got through, finished Acts this morning. And every time I saw that, I highlighted because I want to go back through and really focus in on that. Uh, what did God do? He worked, and they were in awe. Wow. And so I think that's very applicable. Um, well, that closes out this week's episode on the church. So thank you so much for viewing and watching us. We appreciate whenever you share this with friends or you subscribe to Spotify or podcast or even the YouTube channel. So we look forward to seeing you at next week's episode. Thank you for joining us today for our discussion on basic Christian life. Stay current with other episodes by subscribing to our podcast. For show notes, visit us online at basicdiscipleship.net. If you have any questions about the materials presented in this discussion, or if you would like to give feedback, email us at info at basicdiscipleship.net. Thanks for listening.